Grow your IT career with online IT training from Full Stack Journey sponsor, IT Pro TV. Just for you listening, there is a special offer, a seven-day free trial and discount of 30% off all plans. Visit itpro.tv slash full for seven days free and 30% off. Use promo code full at checkout. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast. I am your host, Scott Lowe, and my goal here on the podcast, as always, is to talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. I want to take some time and thank you for giving me time uh, to listen to the podcast, and I'm very grateful and thankful for that. Um, as always, when I record a podcast, I am talking uh, generally with uh, one or two guests, and we are discussing some new technology or some recent introduction in the IT uh, industry. And we're seeking to provide real, practical, actionable information for listeners to assist them in their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and public cloud environments. Today, we're going to be focusing a little more on the latter, the public cloud environment. And I'm very excited to have a guest with me today who's going to be talking about something that. Um, you may not be leveraging directly, but you will be leveraging in, in, in certain ways, and that is uh, this technology introduced by Amazon Web Services called Firecracker. And my guest today is Michael Hausenbluss. Michael, how are you today? Hey, Scott. How are you doing? Thanks a lot for having me. All well here. Oh, I am very glad to hear that. Uh, I know that um, given what is happening in the world these days, it's always good to hear that uh, somebody is doing well. Um, and thank you so much for being on the show. Michael, why don't you take a, a minute or two and sort of introduce yourself to the listeners of the show, give us some background, kind of, you know, where you are, where you came from, that kind of thing, and then we'll dig into talking about Firecracker. Absolutely. All right, so I'm a product developer advocate in the container service team in AWS. AWS essentially is organized around these relatively small service teams and you know we own a couple of, of services in our case things like you know ECS and EKS and Fargate, ECR, AppMesh and I uh, was so working away there engineers, product managers and product developer advocates like myself. Uh, that means pretty close uh, to the actual product or service if you wish and uh, in this case this uh, this is not a, a managed service but this is a piece of open source software and uh, yeah I'm super excited uh, yeah, being on the show and talking about that with you. Great, great. Yeah, this is uh, Firecracker, something I've been kind of watching from a distance ever since it was introduced. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you about it. I've semi-played with it through other tools on one of my laptops, but uh, not in a real way, uh, such as the way you guys are using it um, to power some of your services. Um, Michael, if, if listeners are interested in sort of following you online or something of that nature, is there a, a website or a Twitter handle you'd like to share? Right. So if you're more interested in consuming, I would say uh, Twitter usually um, or Medium or LinkedIn. That's where I usually kind of like broadcast information. If you're more interested in hanging out, having discussion, maybe you want to get help or whatever, uh, hanging out on a lot of different Slack communities. That's our own AWS developer. That's the Kubernetes one. That's uh, CNCF one. So many, many places where you can interactively engage or on Stack Overflow if you have a question there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like you're in a lot of the same places I am. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. um, great. So let's, let's, let's dig right in then. Um, we're talking about Firecracker. Why don't we start with just sort of a high level discussion of, of what Firecracker is? 
and what it seeks to do. So in a nutshell, if you, if you have this elevator pitch, uh, Firecracker is a so-called virtual machine monitor, VMM, that is specialized for what we call serverless workloads. Think, you know, Lambda or Fargate. And that means that, um, you know, this, this monitor in, in the, the name VMM uh, gives it already away. It doesn't really do the actual virtualization, but it uses something else. In this case, in our case, KVM. So a Linux uh, built-in feature to virtualize, to do hardware virtualization. If people are familiar with where ourselves, where AWS came from Zen moving to KVM, probably if you're familiar with Linux, you might have heard about KVM and probably even used it directly or indirectly, for example, uh, through QMU. Yeah, that's essentially what it does. It, it uh, spins up virtual machines for you. And the whole idea is to do that in a very effective and uh, rather fast manner. So this kind of UX that people are nowadays used to from containers, so, you know, seconds, startup times, minimal footprint, et cetera, that for VMs. So you're leveraging, you know, KVM because it's running on Linux. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And, yep. and pretty much every sort of virtualization mechanism aside from Zen, you know, that runs on Linux is going to leverage KVM regardless of the final form that it takes, right? Um, and uh, the, the, the key use cases here is to sort of replicate the experience of a container. So a very fast startup, very minimal footprint, so on and so forth, but using hypervisor isolation, using sort of a full, um, you know, VM correct. level of protection around it. Correct, correct. Before we get into the, you know, motivation for us to actually build that, maybe let's uh, have a, a little uh, quick look at, at where, where we came from and, and how the whole thing evolved maybe. And that is in end of 2017, that was started internally, the Firecracker project. And then a year later, a little bit more than a year later was open sourced. And it has its origins in Chrome OS's cross VM. So if you are using uh, Chrome OS, um, you probably already used in, in one sense or the other, um, at least certain code base shared with Firecracker. The idea was essentially to say, well, it's good that we are using that internally and, and you know, across different uh, services in the backend, but why not uh, open it up and sharing it with the community so that others can build on top of that or use it in their own environment. And it turns out to be a pretty successful one. If you look uh, now, number of, you know, vanity metrics, number of stars and contributions and, um, you know, how many other uh, folks have built something on top of it or with it. Um, it, it I think it was a really good decision to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I'm curious, though, before we do move into the motivations, just, just talking about what Firecracker is and maybe helping listeners differentiate it or, or compare contrast. There are other technologies in the container space that seek to do the same sort of thing. Um, so we have, you know, Kata containers, for example. We have GVisor, the, you know, Run SC, which can leverage KVM. There's probably more. I know that there was a, there was a period of time a couple of years ago when there was a lot of different efforts going on to to leverage hypervisor isolation for containers what is different about firecracker mm -hmm. if anything and and it, i guess it would be okay to say nothing right but what's different about firecracker compared to some of these other mechanisms that listeners can sort of you know latch on and say oh okay now i get it so the 
research paper that has been published a bit earlier this year does a really great job at essentially look, looking at these different isolation options. So they go through, you know, what could have been used in that, you know, rather than building something from scratch. So you could use in the widest sense Linux containers, so C groups, namespaces, uh, seccomp, etc., to uh, provide some kind of, of uh, isolation. There you typically have drawbacks that because all of these Linux containers are using the same kernel, um, there are certain security issues that you simply cannot get away with. And even if you're using a lot of seccom, then compatibility plays into it. So, you know, if you <laughs> disallow too many syscalls, then you run into issues with running any kind of, of software on it. There are language-specific options. Think, for example, the JVM uh, that could be used, uh, or you're using full-blown virtualization. And in terms of the trade-offs, in terms of making sure that you do have this minimal footprint, so we're talking about you know really fast boot times, in, you know below 120 milliseconds. We're talking about creating 150 or more VMs per second per host. So really fast startups times and, and minimal footprint. I think it's a five megabyte overhead per uh, micro VM there. Um, you, you really need to have virtual virtualization, proper virtualization. But as it turned out, the existing options, uh, including QEMU, uh, they were not really fit for purpose. So they're you know, general purpose ones. They are great for desktop environments, whatever. They have many, many um, you know, devices in there that are really not necessary for uh, the server, server environment. If you look at the device model that uh, Firecracker has, it has a very lean device model, right? So there are just a handful of devices, like there's a, a 8259 uh, program interrupt controller in there emulated in, in Rust. Did I already mention, by the way? Yes, it's written in Rust, so it's very exciting. Uh, there is an interval time in there, um, a minimal keyboard and mouse controller, a serial console, and virtual block net, uh, network. So that's that's pretty much it. And, you know, that means it's really not useful for some desktop environment, but in the in the server, that's really where, where it shines, right? So looking at all the isolation options, essentially the team responsible for providing that kind of, of um, you know, back-end infrastructure uh, for different serverless environments looked at it and said, the best trade-off between having the full security and having the maximum compatibility is to write a VMM from scratch. That's the bottom line. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And uh, listeners, we'll have a link to the... Uh to the the paper the white paper a number of, of suggestions for for you know more background and, and yeah. yeah awesome awesome so we'll have we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes uh so mm -hmm. you can look at that and sort of follow on with what michael is, is saying and read some of this other uh, research that was done um so that's great thanks uh thanks michael for that um it is interesting to see these sort of technologies being used in different use cases you know so uh, you see Docker, you know, evolving one way and you see, you know, ContainerD, Cryo, others evolving one way and you see um, this sort of, um, you know, tool, Firecracker and maybe some others um, that might be similarly related, um, you know, evolving a different way. And they're all built on the same sort of basic building blocks, but you're assembling those building blocks in different ways to address, you know, very specific use cases to tailor them to the specific use case you're looking for, right? Um, and in the case of Firecracker, the use case that you guys were, were targeting is to support things like uh, Fargate and Lambda. Is that correct? That's right. And, you know, if you look, um, and that 
again, speaks to the motivation, I believe. If you look at where that comes from, right? It doesn't matter. Um, we can get into, you know, Lambda and, and Fargate, ECS or EKS on Fargate uh, in greater detail. But if you look at the, the bigger picture where that comes from, the transition from monolith that, you know, might have gigabytes and, and whatnot of, of memory footprint um, to microservices, containerized microservices on the one hand, you know, I'm ignoring now lift and shift that just take a monolith and shove that into a container image. I'm, you know, talking about the properly refactored uh, microservices architecture with, you know, potentially hundreds of microservices. So relatively small units there, small workloads. And the same is true for Lambda functions, right? So if you're dealing with that, think about the economics in terms of, from our perspective uh, as well, right, from the cloud provider perspective, then the traditional way of, of doing the virtualization is probably not the most, uh, you know, cost-effective one, right? And, and the, the more cost-effective we can do things, the more we can share with, with our customers and the cheaper at the end of the day it gets for, for you as a customer. The big picture driving factor is really this move to microservices or I'm now using microservices and, and functions uh, somehow interchangeably. I, I know it's not the case and, you know, there are different architectures, et cetera. But, you know, in terms of if you compare it with a monolith, it's, it's certainly true. So if you if you look at that, right, and if you uh, even if you look at, at, you know, beefy, you know, EC2 instances that, you know, are virtual machines, then in terms of being able to pack many of those different tenants uh, on the same machine, you're somewhat uh, limited, right? So the the model now shifts to that you're using a really huge bare metal instance, I'm talking about, you know, hundreds of gigabytes, hundreds of CPUs potentially. Um, and then using this micro VM and the Firecracker VMM to back many, many, many hundreds of those micro VMs on this bare metal box. And with that, you essentially, uh, on the one hand, from a security angle, and the other hand, from you know noisy neighbors, so that you know, the one CPU-hungry task does not, or workload does not interfere with your more I.O. one, probably, um, you can actually realize this multi-tenancy for either kind of uh, you know microservice or, or lambda function uh, application workloads in, in a in a really great way, right? And you can guarantee that it has full compatibility with whatever existing uh, software layers out there. And this is the the kind of um, if you look at it from our point of view, what would have been necessary to you know use something existing again, for example, as a QEMU to you know, strip it down and, and refactor it and whatever versus building it from scratch um, in, in a, a quote-unquote modern future-proof language. I can imagine, although I'm not a developer by any stretch of the imagination, I can imagine that the amount of work that it would have taken to optimize something like Kimu, which you know, has been around for quite a while, right, to address this specific use case was probably, you know, equal to or greater than the effort required to adapt to new technologies or re-implement in Rust like you did with Firecracker. And so certainly I could see that that making sense. And then, you know, just chasing, you know, you, you've got a legacy code base and, and I don't mean that in, in a bad way, just your has been around for a while and chasing all the, all the various little places in that legacy code base where, you know, you have to adjust something or close a security hole or whatever for something of the scale and and the speed that AWS needs, I could I could definitely you know, begin to see oh this you know this makes a lot of sense. It's not just a matter of you know 
I'm going to write a new standard to settle all the standards, you know, a la XK, XKCD, right? But um, instead, you know, building the right tool to address the specific use case that you had. Correct. correct. And, and I think the other interesting aspect, at least for me, looking at that, like after the fact, I have uh, been not, you know, part of it from the very beginning, but pretty much um, more or less since uh, the whole thing around Fargate uptake took place. And, and you know, since then, I'm definitely interested, especially in the, the ARM, um, you know, running Firecracker on ARM. Um, is, is really around standards, right? About open standards. If you look at it, um, you know, Vertio, that's an OASIS standard, uh, has been around for quite some time. Then uh, you have uh, OCI runtime, uh, if you think about the, the Firecracker container D integration. So it's really open source, having something, you know, pointing at, uh, someone to, to GitHub and say, well, you can have a look at that. And, you know, for your own purposes, having a security rated review or whatever, that's great, but also, um, building on top of open standards, no matter if they're like more formal standards or more informal one, uh, it is a really great thing, right? Everyone benefits from that, and everyone uh, can move faster and and you know have a have a better um, overall uh, development experience with it. I guess. Yeah, that could that could spark an entirely separate discussion around the role of open source and open standards, which came to the fore for me, you know, a number of years ago when I first started getting into network virtualization and talking about, you know, the role of projects like Open vSwitch and how it helps drive IETF and, and other internet standards, right? Um, so, that, but that's a, that's a separate discussion entirely. We don't need to go there. <laughs> um, okay, so I think I have a really good idea of, you know, sort of like why Firecracker exists and, uh, you know, what, what are the use cases that it's trying to solve, given that it is, uh, I'll say purpose-built, because in a way it is, um, but given that it's purpose-built, you know, this is something that's running on the back end, right? This is something that you like, you know, you don't go to your AWS console and say, you know, here, let me go to the Firecracker service, right? Because it's not exposed in that way, right? So if if somebody were interested in leveraging it um, or, or, or using it or exploring how they might be able to use it, what are the front end services, if you will, that they should be looking at? I, you know, I mean, I know we've talked Lambda for, you know, functions as a service and we've talked Fargate, um, is there anywhere else where um, that you're able to disclose that somebody interacting with um, AWS services would be leveraging Firecracker on the back end and therefore might be able to consider, hey, this is something I want to look at as an overall portion of my broader technology architecture? So just to echo again that what, what you just said, Firecracker, you know, unlike, I don't know, Docker or, or Podman or whatever is, you know, not directly meant for you know someone to run on your desktop to do something or whatever it's really meant to be used uh, in in the back end um, and lambda has already done the transition uh, uses you know firecracker everywhere and in fargate we are in the process of, of doing that so if you're currently you know running an, an eks uh, on fargate a pod there you may or may not then land on an environment that has firecracker but the point being there are and i mentioned it earlier on that you know the open sourcing was a was a a really good decision, I believe, that there are a number of, of projects in the community that um, essentially make uh, Firecracker, the, the actual usage possible. I, I would argue, if you're following the instructions um, on, on the Firecracker GitHub page, you may be 
uh, able to do it. Uh, it did cost me a little bit of time to do that the first time. But if you look at uh, projects like WeaveWorks Ignite and Firecube, really, really nicely packaged, really nice UX, but, you know, effectively let you do that. They, they more or less provide the same UX that you're used from from Docker, right? Docker Run and so on. Um, so if, if you wanted to, um, then uh, you could use um, you know, either Ignite or, or Firecube. And that is maybe for folks who plan to use Firecracker in their own environment on premises or, or build a platform around that, maybe the best uh, place to either get an inspiration or build it on top of that. But I would argue that there is another, you know, way to, to view it, and that is not necessarily as a end user of Firecracker, but if you want to get into that whole virtualization uh, setup as a developer, systems programmer, whatever, you could, um, you know, either directly contribute to Firecracker or build on top of it, there is also a project called Rust VMM um, that was started end of last year that essentially makes uh, you know use of components within firecracker that you can build your own vmm based on that so if you are into like you know oh i want to start uh, back end whatever um, and i'm looking uh, you know maybe also into learning a new program language like rust rust is um, that what might be a really great way for you to get started right there is plenty of uh, work open, for example, making uh, Firecracker run really well on, on, on ARM, uh, on that architecture. Uh, you could, you know, do something, as I said, even lower level with Rust VMM. So don't view it necessarily as a, hey, I, I want to run with locally on my desktop and do something with it to improve my local workflow, but view it more as a building block uh, that you can either build upon and, and use in your own a platform or whatever, or as a kind of ticket into you know getting into system uh, programming with with a really really great team and a really a nice setup, a very open source uh, friendly setup. Aiding your journey to becoming a full stack engineer is full stack journey sponsor IT Pro TV. Going full stack is partly about career growth, right? And online IT training from IT Pro TV that can help you grow. And they can help you, the savvy Full Stack Journey listener, grow at a 30% discount off of all IT Pro TV plans. More on that in a minute. A recent MIT study found that IT occupations have grown by 19.5% between 2004 and 2019. Compared to other jobs, that's more than eight times the growth over the past decade. That's right, earnings have grown significantly for individuals working in IT. So if you're in IT, you've picked the right gig. But don't set your career on cruise control thinking, eh, it's all good. Change is the norm as evidenced by the full stack movement, right? And to keep earning that big paycheck, you need to keep your skills up. IT Pro TV has you covered from CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft and many more vendors, more than 4,000 hours of on-demand training. Engaging hosts present information in a talk show format and they're live every day. And shows go from that live studio to the web in 24 hours so that you can stream them. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role, and you can stream those courses live and on-demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and land that fancy new full-stack job you've had your eye on with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash full for a seven-day free trial and 30% off all plans. Use promo code FULL at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv 
twitch.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off all plans. And now back to today's discussion. So that's, that's a really good distinction to, to make, Michael. Thank you for that. I, I know a lot of times people look at open source projects, especially in, in the sort of container, you know, developer space. And they immediately begin to think, oh, hey, I'm, I'm just going to start using this, you know, right here, right? And I guess maybe that was because of the you know, rapid popularity of Docker when it was first introduced and, and sort of the, the quick uptake by right. developers and, and sort of the, the impact, um, you know, very significant impact that it had in helping developers be more productive. And so they see this, they're like, ooh, Firecracker, you know, micro VMM, all the speed of containers and the isolation of VMs. So I'm just going to, you know, start using this, right? And it's not really intended for that use case. I mean, there, there may come a time you mentioned ignite, um, by Weaveworks, which I've, I've used and footloose also by Weaveworks can leverage ignite and in turn firecracker. So, so there are tools that are evolving that are beginning to leverage them, but by and large, this is still a building block and you really shouldn't be, you know, necessarily looking at this for like, I'm going to speed up my desktop, you know, development workflow, but instead you know, this is something that I might use to build a platform um, on my own data center. It's might something I might build on top of. It's might it might be something I'm going to contribute to because you know I want to learn how to program in Rust, or um, or it might be something else like that. But it wouldn't necessarily be something that you're going to like throw onto your Linux laptop and then you know start using all the time. Correct. Correct. I think that's the that's the main point. And and in terms of you know using it in a platform, go like hey. Is that really you know possible or whatever? Yeah, it is designed uh, to be uh, used as a building block, right? It, it uh, Firecracker exposes a HTTP API via Unix socket, so it's pretty straightforward to actually programmatically talk with it and say you know hey create this micro VM and shut down this one, etc. So and that is if you've looked at how how quickly Weaveworks was was able to you know come up with with Ignite, it was part of the reason was that Firecracker was designed to be you know used to be built upon as a building block. So I think that's that's really something um, interesting. And no matter if you're using it as a black box where you're essentially using the HTTP API to do something with it or really dive into the, the Rust uh, source code. Uh, in, in either case, it's, it's super interesting. Uh, I mean, it was interesting to me looking at, you know, um, how exactly did they do the the uh, emulation for I don't know the the i eighty forty two PS two keyboard and mouse controller in, in Rust right <laughs> it's like for me uh, being a gopher and and trying to pick up uh, Rust uh, that was pretty interesting right and and uh, the team. Um, is really is really great. They are uh, they're really doing a great job there, and this is a, a great way to learn uh, a program language and to you know by osmosis more or less get the, the good practices right the test coverage and you know how to to express things in Rust etc. Right, right, and and you mentioned something there you know in terms of the um, HTTP API that that Firecracker exposes, and I suppose that might be one thing that would be so, somewhat of a distinguishing thing regarding Firecracker in that. When you, when you look at a lot of the tools out there, they aren't necessarily always designed to be uh, a good building block. You know, like Docker had its, its own API, and that and I think that's one of the things that contributed to its success. Also, a maniacal focus on user experience, which is why developers liked it so much. But, you know, um, a lot of these other projects weren't built from the very beginning with the intent of being programmed by something else. And so, you know, I like uh, a couple episodes ago, I had... 
um, some folks on from Talos and they were talking about, you know, again, you know, sort of crafting this entire Linux distribution entirely designed to be driven by API. And, you know, now we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a VMM and a building block for creating uh, micro VMs with all the speed of containers, but the, all the isolation of a virtual machine entirely designed to be driven by an API. And these are the things that in, in my mind, at least, um, it makes perfect sense that AWS would do that because, of course, you know that's kind of how everything works, right? But, um, but it also does enable that that ability for folks like WeaveWorks and others to build on top of it because it was designed to be integrated into other components. Right, right. And to be honest, I mean that's what what impresses me a lot, and I, I very much enjoy uh, not being with with AWS for a bit more than a year. Um, that it's super pragmatic, right? I mean, the, the the idea here is really what makes most sense for our customers and how can we best help uh, our customers with whatever the, the issue is. You can, of course, you can look at it and say, well, that's purely, you know, our benefit that we can back more, uh, you know, small workloads on, on a big uh, bare metal machine and get more out of it. But guess what? You know, these, these price reductions or these cost reductions that's directly shared and directly makes you know your workload cheaper to run obviously and this is something you know if you look at it kvm was not replaced right kvm is 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 there and, and this is used right it's it's um not something where we say hey you know we want to own the whole stack and, and do everything from scratch just for the purpose of it but where does it make sense to to actually uh, do something about it to to really make it a great fit for our use case and you know wh where should we focus our energy and given that this is a, a rather big thing uh you know in terms of how many people are working on it and, and how how many how much time they're spent on it um it, it better be good right and in this case it was really useful that there's like more than one service uh, or service team benefiting from it right both the lambda uh, folks and and ourselves and the container service team are more or less you know customers or using it customers it's probably not the, the right term because it's not you know, not a managed service but we we depend on it right and and so it made a lot of sense to really go down that yeah, route yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe consumer is a better term consumer yeah yeah, yeah. okay Awesome. Awesome. Um, so this has been a, a fabulous discussion. I just want to like take a step back yep. and it sounds like, um, you know, number one would be, Hey, if you need, you know, sort of like VM isolation, if you're concerned about tenancy, multi-tenancy, you know, that, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and you're also exploring, you know, functions of service. Okay. You're covered because Lambda is leveraging Firecracker on the back end. you know, okay. You're, you're kind of like good. With the introduction of any new technology, there's always the, you know, oh, that's not secure sort of thing, right? And so I guess maybe listeners could take some comfort in knowing that like, hey, even though Firecracker is a new project, you know, it's being leveraged fairly broadly within AWS. It is open source, so people can look at the code. And we are leveraging sort of well-known constructs like KVM in order to do this. So even though this is a relatively new technology, it's still worth looking into and evaluating how you incorporate that into your overall stack of technologies, you know, without being like, oh no, that's all brand new, you know, right. we don't want to touch that. Um, I would say that's one reasonable conclusion people can 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 draw, right? Is that it's it's okay to begin looking at these technologies. The other would be, you know, as services like EKS um, and others begin to migrate over, that um, those folks who are looking at a managed Kubernetes service can consider that as a potential 
decision factor, right? Does does my managed service leverage a, a hypervisor isolation mechanism underneath, right? Um, I would imagine, I don't know, and, and you may not know either, I would imagine that Google is probably leveraging GVisor on GKE, um, as it would make sense. Um, and so then having AWS leverage Firecracker on the back end for EKS also makes sense and gives folks sort of a, again, another checkbox of, yes, we're, we're, we're adding some, some security to this, you know, newer technology that, um, you know, is, is worth considering for inclusion in your overall technology stack. Right. Just to, to clarify a little bit in terms of terminology, because you just mentioned, you know, on EKS. So the, the way we think about it is, um, again, from, from our point of view, from, from the container service team point of view, there are uh, orchestrated options, right? You can use ECS or you can use EKS, which is who it is. Um, and there are compute engine options, right? EC2, you know, you can run e ECS on EC2 or EKS on EC2, which essentially means you as a customer uh, are responsible for the data plane, right? You need to patch it, you need to upgrade it, everything. Um, if you're using ECS or EKS container orchestrator on Fargate, that means in the you know, shared responsibility model, it's our responsibility to patch it, to you know, uh, make sure everything is, is secure, et cetera. And in that context, uh, it's really, it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, being able to make sure that customers using that to build their applications can depend on us and, and you know, make sure that you know, in terms of, I don't know, is uh, EKS on on, uh, on Fargate PCI compliant? Is it SOC compliant, et cetera, et cetera? So all these these kind of compliance issues that uh, if you would build something from scratch, essentially outsourced, and we take care of that heavy lifting. And and that is why you know coming back to which, what I originally said in terms of multi tenancy, it's really super important for us to have these strong isolation guarantees. Right? It's simply not sufficient to say, well, um, you know, if you have uh, C groups and, and namespaces and seccomp in there, um, it, it's sufficient to, to uh, make sure that under under any circumstances, these uh, different tenants that, that are running, and there are many, many of those in, on, in one bare metal box, uh, have no chance of interfering uh, with each other, right? So it, it's really this kind of um, the thinking around this shared responsibility model, uh, us giving uh, certain guarantees uh, to, to customers in terms of compliance, et cetera. Gotcha. Okay. So just to clarify then, if if folks are looking at EKS, EKS and EC2 is sort of the more traditional model, you know, running VMs. Um, and then EKS on Fargate is more what is leveraging Firecracker on the back end. And that shifts the responsibility model a little bit. So that's something for them to consider as they're evaluating these services. Correct. Correct. So you can really consider Fargate as a kind of serverless container um, offering. The Current limitation, if you look at other things, is that, and it's also the differentiator to, to Lambda, is that it doesn't scale to zero or from zero automatically at the current point in time. Right? So this is there's always a pod running, right? If you, you it doesn't automatically scale to zero or if something happens uh, from zero, right? Which is the more interesting or more challenging part. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Great. Well, thanks, uh, Michael. Any um, as we prepare to, prepare to wrap up, are there any sort of closing thoughts? Any any you know final things that you want to share with readers? We're going to put some some links in the show notes um, to some of the uh, projects and resources that have been mentioned, and listeners, you can go follow those links and 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 learn more about you know the technology. And if you're interested in getting involved, how you can do that or, or whatever. Um, but any other sort of resources or notes or related things that um, listeners should be 
considering um, that are related to Firecracker and sort of you know what's happening in this space? I, I think the um, team is always looking for um, feedback. Um, you know, any kind of you know feature feature related stuff in the sense of, for example, I, I know that they are working on. I think it's pretty pretty much wrapped up now. Um, being able to snapshot and restore and move uh, these, which originally was not there, uh, these these firecracker micro VMs um, or whatever else it is uh, is of interest, and you know, be part of that community. There, you know, it's a GitHub <laughs> repo, right? So you can create uh, issues there. Um, you can test it out. Especially, I might be a bit biased, but I'm a big believer in ARM, so I'm, I'm always highlighting that. And I know that this is still, you know, it's not TA yet, so that definitely deserves a little bit more of attention and love um and and maybe also looking at the wider ecosystem maybe it is something that you can uh, just like we for did with with ignite and firecube um build something uh, with it and and again share that with others and i think the more of you know this kind of sharing in terms of it might be a blog post it might be a fostem talk it might be whatever everyone um, benefits from it right it's it's really a win-win situation and as i said maybe this is a great way to to get into you know uh, some rust level uh, system programming sure sure absolutely yeah um awesome thanks so much uh michael before we close um once again i'll give you an opportunity to share any you know urls or twitter handles for folks who might be interested in interacting with you maybe finding out more about you know how they can get involved in the firecracker project or or leverage it for their own project, something like that. Right, right. So as I said, um, the the main uh, Firecracker uh, GitHub page uh, has some some high level pointers there. I have a really uh, nice. Uh, so this is more like a preview of the resources that I put together that I'd like to share with you. Uh, Mark Brooker, one of the main architects there, um, uh, gave a really nice talk at the NSDI uh, this year, uh, which I think is together with this research papers, so it's like twenty minutes talk up on YouTube. Um, there is um, the um, I have a really nice uh, deep dive um, um, blog post uh, from someone outside of, of the community who analyzed that, who also talks a little bit about the the um, you know, pros and cons and the the actual internals of, of how the, the whole boot works, etc. And, and, and the Firecracker paper itself, so like 16 pages, um, and just to, to make sure, uh, you know, people sometimes, uh, especially if they don't have a college level education or whatever, kind of fear research papers. I think this is one of the the easiest to read paper that I've ever come across. And, you know, I've been in, in research for some 10 years. <laughs> I think I have a little bit of comparison that this one is really, uh, yes, it contains graphs and this and that, but it's, it's pretty straightforward to, to read. It's, it's you know, um, a delight to, to understand motivation and the options and, and uh, overall use case. So uh, I think, uh, you know, when, if you look at, at our conversation today and if you're like, okay, what's the next step? I would definitely say read that, uh, that firecracker, uh, research paper. Uh, it's, it's, it gives you the best, uh, you know, next level intro into what is, what is going on with the project. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Michael. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Listeners. Thanks so much for giving me some time today, listening to Michael and I talk about firecracker and uh, lightweight virtualization, uh, being leveraged by AWS for a variety of their services, um, as well as, you know, uh, it's a great opportunity to get involved with some open source projects if uh, if that's if, if Rust is, is your thing or if you want Rust to be your thing. 
Um, in the meantime, uh, thanks again for listening. We'd appreciate any feedback you can provide on whatever platform you found us on. So whether that be iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or uh, whatever the case may be, we'd certainly appreciate you providing some feedback, giving us a rating. It is uh, how we uh, reach out to uh, new listeners and find uh, new listeners and new subscribers. So we certainly appreciate that. As always, you can reach me, Scott, your host on Twitter as at Scott underscore low. And you can uh, provide feedback to the podcast directly at FSJ Podcast. Also on Twitter, the website for the show is uh, packetpushers.net. We're uh, proud to be part of the Packet Pushers Network. And uh, we're excited uh, to bring you this show and uh, many more shows talking about awesome and cool new technologies. Thanks so much. Have a great day.